0: Good morning. So good to see you all here. Welcome. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. You can find that in the Old Testament. And this might be a good day to use the table of contents in the front if you're looking for Jonah. It's a small book, might be hard to find. So go ahead and flip to it. A huge thank you to Pastor Lee and to our brother Steve for preaching these past few weeks while. I was gone. We had a a great trip away in Hawaii, but we are glad to be back. We are eager to jump back into life here with you, and I'm particularly excited about this study through the book of Jonah. I'm really looking forward to it. If you've been here for any number of weeks, you've seen that we've been going through the gospel of Mark, right? So actually since the fall, I think about September, we started walking through, and we got about two-thirds of the way through and decided to press the pause button. We're going to come back to the Gospel of Mark in the fall to wrap up those last few chapters. But for now, we're going to shift gears to the book of Jonah. This is one of the well-known stories, one of the most well-known stories in the entire Old Testament. You maybe are familiar with it. There's one thing that usually is mentioned or comes to mind when we think about the book of Jonah, which is, of course... The fish, the great fish, the big fish, or the whale. During first service, we brought a whale in from Discovery Kingdom. It was crazy. People loved it. We didn't do that. Just kidding. You didn't miss out. Uh, But yeah, the whale, the big fish in chapter 2 that swallows up Jonah and eventually spits him out. Uh, Even those of us maybe that don't have much of a church background, when you hear about Jonah or the book of Jonah, a whale, a whale, comes to mind, or a fish of of some sort. Now, that makes sense because it's a pretty extraordinary part of the story. It's pretty uh, memorable. It's rather spectacular. So it makes sense that it would capture our imagination. We keep coming back to it. But it's my hope that through our next five or six weeks together, studying this book all the way through, that we would see that the book of Jonah is about so much more than the fish. That's why I've titled it, Big Fish, Bigger God, because the point of Jonah is not really about the fish. I mean, it's part of it. It's important. But it's really about God. The book of Jonah really is telling us something about God, about who he is and about what his heart is like. And so that's what we're going to jump into the next few weeks. I can't wait. Let's get started uh, with a word of prayer, and then we'll read the passage, shall we? Father, we are so grateful uh, to be here today, gathered as your church to worship you, and now to look to your word. God, we pray that uh, you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Help us to understand your word by your spirit. God, we pray that you would uh, change us today. Transform us, renew us, teach us from your word. God, we love you so much. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jonah 1, verse 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness Has come up before me. Immediately, in the first two verses of Jonah, we're plunged into the story. The stage is set for all that will come after it, and we're introduced to the three main players throughout the book the Lord, Jonah, and the city of Nineveh. Now, to understand this book, we'll have to know a little bit about its historical context to make sense of it. Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of God. His role was to speak for God, to speak to the people, to speak to the king, sometimes to other nations. And we see in the Old Testament two types of prophets. There were the major prophets that wrote really long prophetic books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then there are the minor prophets, the book of the 12 minor prophets, Jonah, is one of the 12 minor prophets, along with Amos and Hosea and Micah and Habakkuk. These are books that we're sometimes less familiar with. This maybe is the part of your Bible where the pages are still stuck together because we're not as familiar with the message of the minor prophets. But among the prophets, either major or minor, Jonah is unique. Because usually the prophetic books, if you read through them, contain primarily the words of the prophet, the message that the prophet is sent by God to give to the people or to the nations. And there's a little bit of narrative sprinkled throughout, but not as much, whereas the book of Jonah is pretty much entirely narrative. It's a, it's a story. And so the focus is on the actions of the prophet, not as much the words of the prophet. In fact, Jonah says very little throughout the entire book, and so it really stands out. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 14, it's the only other place that we hear about Jonah in the Bible, and he's mentioned as a prophet who spoke for God during the reign of King Jeroboam the second, which might not mean a lot to you off the top of your head, but King Jeroboam was a king in Israel in the 8th century BC. So about the first half of it, 780 to 750, somewhere in there. So the events of Jonah that we're about to read took place somewhere in that window, 780 to 750. That's where Jonah lived long time ago, 8th century BC. Jonah sent by God to speak to the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. These were kind of enemies of the people of God. They didn't get along very well. The Assyrian Empire was powerful. was well-known in the ancient world. At this time, we think that they maybe were a little weaker than in previous centuries, but they're still a, a world power. They're well-known, and they're not well-known for being nice people. Literally, that's a key to understanding This book is that the people of Nineveh were known for their violence, for their cruelty, for their pride, for their opposition to the people of God. They were a pagan nation. They didn't fear God. They didn't follow his ways. And we'll get into that a bit more as we go. But just know off the top, these are not nice people. These are not the kind of people that you would chat it up over coffee or go get a pedicure with. You wouldn't want to be buddies with them. Okay, they're the type of people that talk loudly on their phones during movies or take the last piece of pizza without asking. Bad news, okay? They're not nice people. Keep that in mind. We'll impact that more as we go. But the stage is set. God calls to Jonah to go and preach against the city of Nineveh. Now, before we jump into the rest of the story, this might be easy to overlook, But I want us to see and not move past too quickly, again, how the book begins. The very first words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Okay, So the book begins with God and his call to Jonah. Before we get to Nineveh, before we meet this big fish, In chapter 2, before even Jonah, we have the word of the Lord. We have God initiating, acting, stepping out, making the first move. God's word comes to Jonah. Now, this is foundational really for understanding this book, but also for understanding all of Scripture and the Christian life. Because sometimes when we think about religion nowadays or Christianity in particular, we think that it's about man searching for God, right? As if God is out there somewhere and he's kind of just hoping we put the pieces together well enough and figure it out and make our way to him. But the Bible shows us the exact opposite, doesn't it? That it's God searching for man. It's God coming after us. The lost sheep don't find their shepherd. The shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep, right? And so here, before it all gets started, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God calling out to his prophet with this task. He makes the first move. And this isn't just a unique literary piece of the book of Jonah, This is a pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Throughout all of Scripture, God makes the first move. We can look to places like the book of Genesis, right? The very first book of the Bible, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before anything was, there was God. And then God acted with his word. He created everything that is. And we go a little further in the book of Genesis to chapter 12. After the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve, into sin, we see God initiate his redemption plan. He calls Abraham to follow him and to become a great nation, a nation that would know the Lord and ultimately would bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. But it all got started, Genesis 12, through God and his word, calling Abraham. We can go to Exodus and see the people of Israel in slavery. And in chapter 3, God does what? He calls Moses to go and bring the people into freedom. We can go throughout the Old Testament and see that when the people stray, it's God who sends prophets to call them back to repentance. When the people stray and are enslaved by foreign nations, it's God who raises up judges to bring them freedom to save the people, to deliver them from their oppressors, over and over again. It's God calling, God moving towards his people. And we see that theme continue into the New Testament. God sent his son, Jesus, and he told us why he came in Luke chapter 19, to seek and to save the lost, to come after us, to draw near us. And so we see over and over in Scripture, the word of the Lord came to blank. So it's God who calls, God who acts first, God who initiates, God who seeks, God who invites, God who moves towards us before we move to him. And this is so important because again, sometimes when we think about our conversion, we turn to the Lord and we put our faith in him as we should. We have to understand that before that God has called out to us, okay? God has made the first move to us and then we respond to his grace. We respond in faith, but God is the first actor, the first mover, if you will. Which reminds us of course that it's not all about us, right? God's the primary figure in scripture. He's the focus. He's the center, And so sometimes we think about, well, how can I fit God into my life? When really the question should be the opposite. How can we fit into God's life, to the story of God that he is telling? And this also should encourage us, right? That it's not as if the Lord is saying, hey, I hope you all figure it out and make your way to me. No, God moves towards us. He calls us to him. His word draws us, invites us. Know him. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah and it says this, verse 2 Go, Jonah, to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the word comes to Jonah Jonah, here's your mission. I want you to go, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And there's two ways that God describes the city of Nineveh, if you notice. One, it's the great city. Of Nineveh. It's a large city. It gives us this idea of a sprawling metropolis. It's big, it's influential, it's important, it matters to God. It's the capital of Assyria. And so God is not saying, Jonah, I want you to get up and go to Willits, California, or to Elko, Nevada. And if you're visiting today from Elko, we love you. But you see what I'm saying, Okay. And Jonah, go to this great city, this big city, this important city that's influential in the world. The second way he describes it is that it's a wicked city. The wickedness of Nineveh has come up before the Lord. He's seen it. He knows it. See, again, Nineveh was known for their violence, their torture of their enemies, their, their cruelty, the way they stood opposed to the ways of God. One of the descriptors that really helps us understand truly how hated the people of Nineveh were by the ancient world is the prophet Nahum, who's also one of the 12 minor prophets, about a century later is writing and is describing the coming judgment of Nineveh, the fall of Nineveh, that they're going to be destroyed. And in chapter 3, verse 19 says this, all who hear the news about you, you being Nineveh, will clap their hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Okay, so when the city of Nineveh is destroyed, he's saying, everyone who hears about it will clap their hands. They will cheer. They will applaud your destruction. They will celebrate your demise because you have been so cruel. Think about that. This is crazy. I mean, could you imagine how destructive, how cruel you would have to be for someone to come to your funeral and stand up and cheer and celebrate your death? I've never been to a funeral like that. I hope I never go to one like that because that's insane. And here, that's how cruel they were, that the peoples, all the peoples would see and cheer and celebrate the demise of Nineveh, because that's how wicked they were. Again, not nice people. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it. Preach against Nineveh. In other words, in other words, call them out. Tell them their sin. Tell them of the coming judgment of the Lord and their wicked ways. Hopefully, that will be a wake up call, an opportunity for them to repent. This will be an opportunity for them to see their wickedness and to turn from it, right? And to turn to the Lord. That's the hope. And so, here right away, in the first few verses, we have this glimmer of. Hope and this display of the heart of God that will be on display throughout the book. This wicked, evil city. Sinful people. People you think are so far from God, who want nothing to do with God. And God says, I'm going to send my prophet to them in hopes that they would repent and turn to him. It's a reminder that God loves the nations, God loves the world, God loves sinful people, so much so He's willing to give them grace and an opportunity to turn to Him and and trust in Him, even people like Nineveh, even wicked, sinful people. Continues. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, at this point in the story, what we would expect to read next would be, so Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. That's what should come next. But as you know, it does not. Verse 3, the next words. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for tarshish he went down to joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare he went aboard and sailed for tarshish to flee from the lord so this does not go as we would expect it to go in fact this should be rather surprising that a prophet of god someone who signed up to serve the lord is now running away and we lose a bit of the emphasis to this in the English. In the Hebrew, more literally, it reads in verse 2, God says to Jonah, rise and go. And then it says, Jonah rose and fled. (laughs) So it's like exact opposite of what he is told to do. And it says he's going to Tarshish. Now, we don't know exactly where ancient Tarshish was, but it's to the west a long ways, likely about as far west as you could possibly go. Some today think it's like modern-day Spain. That would be the equivalent. And so if we look at it on a map together, a little geography, uh, where he's supposed to go is Nineveh. And seriously, where he goes instead or tries to go is Tarshish. And so it's the exact opposite direction, right? God says, go here. Jonah says, going over here. Not only does he stay home and say, no, thanks, God, I'm going to stay here. He goes the exact opposite direction. And the text, again, repeats this so it stands out. You see it. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship. Now, in the English IV, it says bound for that port. In the Hebrew, it actually says headed for Tarshish. Again, the city name is mentioned there. Again, I think... When the NIV translators were doing this, they probably wanted to smooth it out a little bit so it didn't sound as repetitive, but the repetition is the point. <laughs> so we lose a little something when we see it here. But so it says, headed for Tarshish, he bound it, excuse me, found a ship bound for Tarshish, that's what it literally says. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for where? Tarshish. Where's Jonah going? Tarshish. Where he's not supposed to go, the opposite direction, three times. He's heading away from what God has called him to do. He's running from God, fleeing from God's presence, which, of course, makes us ask the question, why? Why, Jonah? This isn't just some guy at Raleigh's. God picked up and said, hey, go do this for me. This is a prophet of God. This is someone who's already signed up to serve the Lord. I mean, isn't this your job, Jonah? You ever been to a restaurant or a store, maybe in the mall, going shopping, and and you go to checkout, or you order your food, and the person who works there kind of just treats you like a burden? You know, they give you this attitude that, like, you having them do their job is an inconvenience upon them, and you're kind of like... Isn't this your job? Like, why are you giving me this attitude for shopping at your store? What's going on? It's the same kind of thing with Jonah. Like, we're scratching our head. Jonah, isn't this your job? Isn't this what you're supposed to do, is speak for the Lord? And now you're running the opposite direction? Why? He doesn't want this assignment to Nineveh. And the passage doesn't really tell us why yet. We'll learn later. But from the little we know so far in the first few verses, maybe we have some educated guesses we can make from what we know about Nineveh. They're a violent people, a cruel people. And so maybe Jonah's thinking, man, if I go to them and basically wag my finger at them and tell them what a bunch of big sinners they are, they're not going to take too kindly to that, and they're going to kill me. So maybe there's fear operating in Jonah's heart possible. But I think as we go, we'll see that it's not really an issue of fear. Really there's an issue with Jonah when he looks at the heart of God. Jonah disagrees with God on who should be offered forgiveness. God's essentially saying I want the people of Nineveh to have a chance to repent. I want them to have a chance to turn From me and be forgiven. And Jonah essentially says, I want no part of that, God. God, don't you know who they are? Those are my enemies. You know what they've done to our people, to the nations around them? Do you know about their violence, Lord, their wicked ways? You know, they don't live how you want them to live, God. God, those are your enemies. What are you doing? Sending me to Nineveh. So he runs away. You see, the point is that God is showing Jonah and us that, yes, Jonah, I know. I know their wickedness. I want them to have a chance to repent. They're not too far gone. Even people like that can still turn to me. Extending grace. It shows us God has compassion for all of us, no matter our sins. And now, don't hear me wrong. This doesn't mean that we all just should live however we want, and it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not the point of Jonah. We all still need to repent, and turn from our sin, and obey God, and follow Him, and love Him, and Him alone, and trust in Him for salvation. It's found in no one else other than Christ. So none of that changes, but the point is that there's no one too far gone. There's no one beyond the grace of God. No one who's not eligible for the grace of God, who's done too much to be considered for a life with Jesus. We're going to see this unfold as the book goes on, but even now with these first three verses, these huge Big questions are left unanswered for us. We're going to see, and the first is, what's God going to do with Jonah? His rogue prophet, his rebel prophet, how is God going to respond? And two, what's going to happen to the people of Nineveh? This wicked but important city. Now, before we get there these next five weeks, I think we have to look in the mirror a little bit. Because this story is not just about Jonah and Nineveh. It's really intended to serve as a mirror for the people of God to look into it and to see a bit of our own hearts and be challenged to consider how we act today. So the question we need to think about first is, where is your Nineveh? Who are the people? That you don't like, but God loves. Who are the people that God loves, but you, frankly, don't like them? They're different from you. They sin differently than you do. Maybe you're not in much of a relationship with them, but you talk about them to your friends. Complain about them. Maybe criticize them on your... Social media feeds. Maybe they're the people that, that vote differently than you. Think differently than you in the political realm. We have an increasingly polarized world, don't we? Where people are quick to take sides and demonize the others and condemn them. Rather than seeking to understand people who are different from us. Including people of different races different ages. It's easy for us to to get into our silos. It's challenging seeing Christians, seeing Christians who bear the name of Christ, called to grace and love towards the world, act with such bitterness often towards people that they disagree with. Now, again, I'm not saying truth is a free-for-all and just nobody's right and everyone's equally can believe whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying, but There's a way that we as Christians need to carry ourselves in the world. There's a way that we need to speak towards those who are different than us. And again, we might not be all as extreme as Jonah is. Kind of the picture of Jonah is way to the extreme of saying, I don't even want those people to know Jesus. I don't even want those people to know the true God. Not all of us would go that far, probably, but there's still bitterness in our hearts. There's still animosity in our hearts towards people that we don't like. And so who is your Nineveh? Excuse me, where is your Nineveh? That's a question that we're going to unpack as we go for the next five or six weeks. We're not going to solve it today. My hope is that over our time in the book of Jonah, that would become clear. The question is then, how are we to respond? How are we to love those people? So Jonah runs and he flees. The hope is that we would not run and flee like Jonah, when called by God to love people that we maybe don't want to love. But I think we can apply this concept of running from God in a bigger way, right? There are plenty of ways that we, like Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, we run to Tarshish. We go the opposite direction. That looks different for different people. For some of us, maybe you've heard the gospel. You've heard the message of salvation through faith in Christ, and rather than responding and trusting the Lord, you're, you're running. You're avoiding God, pushing off that decision when God invites you to repent, to turn, turn from your old life and to trust Him. Some of us are, are running and haven't even said yes to God in the first place. Some of us <clears throat> have heard God's voice calling out to us to be maybe more involved in the life of our church, be regular here on a Sunday, to participate in a small group. If you notice what Jonah did when he left town, he didn't just stay at home. Because if he would have stayed, he would have had accountability. There would have been people, the people of God in Israel that would know that something was up with Jonah. And he would have been going to temple, hopefully, where the word of God would be Uh, spoken and read out loud. And so Jonah, by fleeing, he's removing himself from community. He's removing himself from accountability. He's removing himself from the place, the temple, where he would hear the voice of God most clearly. So we do the same thing when we flee church, when we don't show up for a while, when we don't get involved, because we'd rather kind of stay around the edges, not be held accountable not be known. It's kind of scary to do that. But God calls us to it. Some of us, some of us hear God's voice calling us to a particular area of service, to volunteer in our church, in our city. And we're running from that call because we're too busy. We don't have time. Maybe someone else will do it. Someone else will fill that need, even though God's been kind of prodding our heart towards it. <clears throat> and some of us have heard God's voice calling us to share the gospel with friends, co-workers, neighbors, family members, to tell them the good news of Jesus. And yet, in fear or apathy, we often remain silent, even though God has called us to that important work of communicating the gospel. So I don't know exactly what this looks like for you, but there are probably areas in your life, where you're running from the Lord a little bit. This is true for me as well. Constantly being challenged to consider what this looks like. Now, there is good news for us here in the first three verses of Jonah. There's good news if we stop to see it, because the King of the universe, the Savior, Jesus Christ did what Jonah failed to do. See, God looked at the sin of Nineveh, and he did what? He sent Jonah to this wicked city to preach to them. But Jonah ran away. See, in an even greater way, God saw the sin of the world, not just of Nineveh, but of all of humanity. So he sent his son, Jesus, to save. And rather than running away, Jesus came to us and he lived a life that we could not live and he died a death that we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sins, made right with God, reconciled to a relationship with him, justified, adopted as his own. And so we see how this passage, these short few verses connect to the greater story of the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ. It's not just about Jonah and Nineveh, it's about you and I and everyone else, how we all are like Nineveh in need of saving, in need of repentance, and Jesus came to bring us life and forgiveness if we would trust in him. So Jonah ran away, but Jesus came and he saved us. And that's what we celebrate as a church family every Sunday, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for revealing your heart to us, for challenging us. Lord, help us to love the way that you love. God, help us to represent you faithfully in our world. Lord, the only way we can do that is to remember The gospel, how you have so loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us, for forgiving us. Instead of running away, you came to us. Jesus, you are far greater than Jonah. So we pray, Lord, that you would send us out from this place as your people with your message of grace and love. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.